0: What were Whitman's views regarding slavery. Obviously, he's a he's a northerner, New Yorker, East Coast, a southerner. How, how did he view slavery, and and you know what did he do about it, if anything?
1: He was uh, completely opposed to slavery uh, throughout his life, from beginning to end. Uh, like I said, he wasn't a, a real activist. <clears throat> He, um, like many uh, of his, you know, compatriots in the North, opposed slavery, but they were very leery of abolition. Uh, To him, the the United States Union was um, essential. And he felt, I think, he felt a bit like abolishing slavery at the risk of the Union. This is pre-war, you know, that he felt this way, uh, at the risk of destroying the Union it just wasn't worth it, you know, it was better to make it uh, go slowly and, and let it, you know, eventually die out, as it had in the North. His grandparents had slaves. Um, but New York abolished slavery gradually. And um, by the time Walt was born, it was over. I think he didn't perhaps didn't understand that it was quite a different scene in the South and the economy, especially the power, powerful, relied on slavery to a uh, obscene degree. Um, So once it was over, you know, that once the Civil War was launched and and going, I think he was more of an abolitionist view. He he began to see things more that it wasn't gonna end just naturally, wasn't just gonna peter out.
0: And he was moved enough to to go down to Washington DC and serve as a nurse, even though that was not his vocation.
1: Yeah, he was a pacifist. Uh he I shouldn't say he was a pacifist because he did support the war. Um he was a pacifist personally. Um he he his Quaker Roots kind of took the upper hand. He's also too old to have enlisted anyway. Um his brother fought and he went to, and he was wounded and he went to Fredericksburg, Walt well, went to Fredericksburg to help him. And then that's how he ended up in DC um helping the wounded in the hospitals. And it was the hub of his life, and, and he called it that. That was the, the, he said, everything turns around that, around the war.
0: Well, what was the um, impact of Whitman being a New Yorker? Um, you know, it was interesting. We, we did an interview uh, with a historian on Al Smith, who ran in 1928, obviously, years after Whitman, and Al Smith discovered that as he went out to the United States and traveled that there was two United States. There was New York and there was the rest of the United States. And that was one of the reasons why he lost the election because they look at him as a New Yorker. Did this have any, what was the impact of being a New Yorker uh, for, uh, for, for Whitman? He, um, I don't, it didn't have
1: that kind of Impact. You know, he did travel, and he he loved what he saw. You know, he traveled around America. He went up to Canada, uh, which is the only time. <coughs> excuse me, he was out of the country. He traveled west as far as Colorado. Uh, his brother, one of his brothers, settled in St. Louis. So he he got around. He lived in New Orleans for a short while. He loved New Orleans. Um, he loved the street life in New Orleans, particularly. Uh, But New York, and especially Manhattan and Brooklyn, were his... Well, and and Long Island, too. Um, It framed him. You know, it it made him what he was. It was his point of reference uh, through much of his life. He was formed by the rural scene in in, uh, Long Island. He was formed by the urban and literary scene in Manhattan and and Brooklyn. Uh, But I I don't think he felt... um, I don't sense that he identified as a New Yorker. American was his crown, you know, that was, I think the way he preferred to see himself.
0: Uh, You you had mentioned that he was an admirer of Abraham Lincoln. That was his president. Did did Lincoln read Whitman's works? Do we know if Lincoln read them and how he uh, took to, to Whitman's works?
1: That's an interesting question, and I, I don't know. I'd love to find out. Um, maybe someone knows, but I, I, I've never heard of, of Lincoln reading uh, Whitman's works.
0: Okay. Uh, but, but some of his works were already published, but by time Lincoln... Oh, yes,
1: yeah. His first president. edition of Leaves of Grass was 1855.
0: Well, I mean, Lincoln was a voracious reader, so I don't know if he read poetry or not. Did, did Whitman write prose? Was it exclusively poetry or did he write prose as well?
1: He wrote a lot of prose. Um, he actually got his his bestseller in his lifetime was the work he li- liked the least, <coughs> which was a temperance novel that he was commissioned to write. And uh, he claimed that he wrote this temperance novel fortified by um, whiskey or something <laughs> like that. Um, but it sold well because it was a topical novel. Um, he wrote a lot of journalism. He was a professional journalist. He had a lot of different jobs at, at papers as an editor. A lot of work is attributed to him that I that wasn't signed uh, along the journalistic line. And um, people believe it's his, but there are people are also beginning to re-examine whether these works were really by Walt Whitman or whether they were just attributed to him because he's the editor of the paper that they were printed in.
0: Um, Did Whitman um, mention or allude to the Jewish people or Jews in any of his works? Was that a topic that was, uh, you know, in his works?
1: He did. Um, He, in his poetry, he tended to make more general um, allusions, like he said, I respect Assyria, China, Teutonia and the Hebrews, I adopt each theory, myth, God and demigod. So that's, you know, not really what I would call treating, you know, Judaism in any way. Um, It tends to be sympathetic, you know, to all uh, people, you know, religions and ethnicities. He, when he was young, he visited. Uh, supposedly, again, this is one of the journalistic pieces that's attributed to him. Supposedly, he visited a synagogue, and some of what he wrote of that visit, or some of what was in the article of that visit, would be offensive by today's standards, although it wasn't intended as such. It was just him going into a synagogue and and just observing, and bringing, you know, the thing that made me a little suspicious that it wasn't Whitman as he alludes to Jesus walking down the aisle and I just can't see him being that sanctimonious but uh, but it was when he was younger and and later uh, he had a friend who was a rabbi um, who he said of him to his friend Horace uh, he was a Jew oh a Jew of the Israelites possessing the grand virtues we read of in Old Testament characters fraternal feeling kindness generosity love of domestic life. He was a marked man on all these features, a character indeed. And Walt uh, did read the Bible. He was very, very well-versed in, in both uh, the Christian Bible and, and the, um, what we call the Old Testament. Um, his, as he grew older, you know, and, and learned more, you know, and, and met more actual Jewish people, he became, his views became more politically shaped. And, and Horace Trouble definitely had something to do with that. Um, he he confronted um, a visitor in, in 1891, he was very close to his end by then, who tried to just, or tried to rationalize the, the Russian pogroms, and Walt said, what are your observations on the Russian question, the cruel, barbarous treatment of the Jews in Russia? And when his visitor um, alluded to U.S. policies that were similar, as we know, you know, the treatment of immigrants to the U.S., the Chinese and, and the Indians, and slavery. Well responded, the exclusion of the Chinese, the tariff, prohibition, all that is of one piece. And I, for one, not only despise it, but also denounce it, lose no occasion. And then he, he went on to say, um, if the Jews in Russia are unpatriotic, who can wonder? Who could they, how could they be otherwise treating with such a government? Uh, all our own laws, which tell us that workmen who choose to come here under contract, or fiddlers to fiddle, or professors to teach, must be warned off, are bad in themselves, bad in everything they suggest. So he very much, you know, advocated an open policy, obviously for immigration, <clears throat> including um, Jews.
0: It seemed to me, just you know, from my um, from like three reading in preparation that um, Whitman was very influential among Jewish poets that came after him. Um, what was that all about? What, what have you seen from your research regarding that?
1: Um, it's, it's a tough question. Um, I'm, I'm not Jewish um, and I, I don't claim to be able to um, understand what it means to have Jewish identity. Uh, And that's what people talk about when they talk about, for example, Ginsburg and Shapiro um, and, you know, how their poetry is shaped by that. Uh, Whitman, I will say, identified with the ancient Jews. And um, he said to his friend Horace Traubel, who introduced his work to uh, the Jewish community, the New England secular Jewish community, if I keep on in this way, I shall by and by have a Hebrew clientage, and I do not see why I should not. I see every reason I should, for am I not a biblical fellow myself? Born and bred in Hebrewism, the old forerunners, teachers, prophets, and all my Hebrew friends are turning out to be among the young. You would call that an omen. Would you do Wouldn't you? <clears throat> so people have compared his cadences and his the long lines to um, the the you know Hebrew verse of of the Bible. Uh, Dr. Dara Barnett, who's a scholar on Whitman at Tel Aviv University, and I'm going to paraphrase her. And, and you know, if she's watching this, you know, please forgive me if I if I you know, bosh it up. But um, she said, you know, basically, American Jewish poets found in Whitman's poetry a kind of spirituality that was not religious. They sought to create a sense of Jewish identity that was humanistic, a way to position Jewish identity as fully American. So, um, <coughs> let's see. Uh, Ginsburg and Shapiro are, are the most prominent, um, I think. <coughs> I'm sorry. Ginsburg and Shapiro are the most prominent American Jewish poets that are very closely identified with Whitman. For me, Ginsburg, uh, his main connection to Whitman was through his his verse, you know, his his actual poetry, the the long flowing lines and the catalogs of, um, you know, things and people. And Ginsburg also connected with the homoerotic, what he perceived as the homoerotic um, side of Whitman's verse, and he, he found that very freeing for his own self-expression. Uh, Shapiro, I would this just again my you know opinion, seemed to have identified more with Whitman, I would say, as a, as a Jew versus being a poet and a gay man. Shapiro um, despised the more arcane poets, intellectually arcane or modernists like uh, T.S. Eliot and. And Ezra Pound, who was also, you know, known to be anti-Semitic, um, and Whitman also granted against the well-known poets of his time for uh, using language as an end in itself versus the content. And Shapiro also found that the modernist um, got too carried away with language. Um, Shapiro used a term "beyond" to describe Whitman. In I've. I found quite a haunting way, if you consider it in context of, of Jewish identity. He said, "Because Whitman is beyond the law of literature, he is condemned to extinction from generation to generation." And um, it's it's certainly true that that Whitman uh, has had its ups and downs in uh, you know academia and, and popularity over the, the centuries since he's.
0: As you as you encounter young people, um, how, do you, how do you teach Whitman to them? Or what what can young people take from Whitman, um, his poems and his writings today?
1: Whitman, uh two things. One is that he never gave up. He encountered tons of tribulation. His family was super dysfunctional. He um, he suffered a lot of ill health later in life. People remarked on on how much older he looked, you know, than he actually was. He wasn't appreciated uh, by the public at large, although he had an extremely devoted following. <clears throat> he never enjoyed wealth, but he never gave up on himself, and he never gave up on people. Um, he had his doubts at times. Very, you know, severe doubts at times, but he, he never really gave up. And I think the best of his poetry, um, he he said, well, I'll, I'll quote him. He said, defiant of ostensible literary and other conventions, I avowed, avowedly chant the great pride of man and himself, and I permit it to be more or less a motif of nearly all my verse. I think it's not inconsistent with obedience, humility, deference, and self-questioning. And I I think a lot of people of all ages, but perhaps especially young people, are fighting um, to express themselves and at the same time, you know, being encountered with a lot of uh, conflicting ideas and, and pressures but the thing that, that Waltman shows to me is a way to cultivate what I would call an inner sacred pride. It's authentic self-respect that bolsters your courage, and, and most important, it's the ground... It's the most fertile ground for um, respecting and loving other people.
0: Okay. Even the even stranger?
1: Even the stranger. <laughs>
0: okay, this, this has been... Absolutely fascinating. And again, um, thank you very, very much for bringing Walt Whitman to us. And um, uh, thank you very much for your time and and, uh, for this wonderful presentation.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.